0: Sixty years ago this week, Ed Harrell was one of a few hundred men floating in the Pacific following the sinking of the USS Indianapolis. In the four days that he was afloat, Ed saw some of his fellow sailors drift away from the group to be eaten by sharks, some who tried to swim toward an imaginary shore who never came back. For Ed, the memories are vivid. I can see it today.
1: And I I think maybe I'd like to look at it and say that the Lord reminds me even today of those incidents. And as He reminds me of those, then they help to strengthen my faith and my resolve to live a life for Him today.
0: This is Family Life Today for Wednesday, August 3rd. Our host is the president of Family Life, Dennis Rainey, and I'm Bob Lapine. Where did Ed Harrell's hope come from when it appeared all reason for hope was gone? Stay with us. And welcome to Family Life Today. Thanks for joining us. You know, we've heard a story this week, Dennis, about a ship under attack. And then we've heard about the ongoing horror and terror of living in the middle of the ocean, bundled up with your buddies, hooked with your life jackets to one another as the sharks encircle you in the waters, and wondering, does anyone even know we're out here? Or will we die at sea? No food, no fresh water, except for a a thundercloud that comes by and gives you a little bit of a rain shower. You hear a story like this and you wonder, where does the will to survive in the midst of that come from? I I think of myself and think, when would I just lay my head back and say, okay, I'm ready to die. Mm -hmm. I'd rather do that Mm -hmm. than keep living like this.
2: Yeah, in fact, uh, there's a story that... uh, Ed Harrell, who joins us again on Family Life today. Ed, uh, welcome back to the broadcast. Thank you. There's a story you tell, Ed, of uh, a Marine buddy who was ready to do the very thing Bob was talking about. He was ready to to quit. And you kind of – the picture I had from reading your book was you kind of grabbed him by the life jacket and looked him in the eyes and you gave him a reason to believe.
1: I pretty much gave him an ultimatum, really in that uh, he had tried to convince me that he was going to commit suicide in that uh, he'd gone into the water head first and uh, all of that oil in his eyes. And then, uh, you know, you can imagine you you take your hand and you, you try to rub that oil out, but the more you rub your eye, you're rubbing salt in, you're kind of uh, taking that salt that's in the water, you're grinding your eyeballs with that, mm. and then the sun then, uh, you know, beaming off of that water then through the daytime, by the second day, uh, uh, Spooner was determined that he was going to commit suicide. And he mentioned that two or three times. Anyway, I, I recall that I, I just got a hold of Spooner and I turned him to me. And, and um, I kind of looked him you know, squarely in the eye and I said, Spooner, there's only two of we Marines out here. And uh, whenever Sailor is gone, there's still going to be two Marines and you're going to be one of them with me. And I kind of turned him to me and I fashioned, hooked his life jacket then onto mine. And I swam with him then through that night, and then it was sometime then the third morning then that uh, he wanted me to release him, and he, he made a vow to me that he would fight for life as long as uh, there was breath in him and because of, uh, you know, him being able to survive as long as he had through that night, and
0: and I released him then the next day. You and some 300 of your shipmates survived in the waters in the Pacific, from the time that your boat was attacked, just after midnight on the 30th of July in 1945, when the Indianapolis went under in about 15 minutes, you survived for a period of, what was it, four days, five days? Well, four and a half days, yes. And you survived that, as you've already shared with us this week, there was – was it just a single rain shower that passed over that gave you a little bit of water? Right. That's all
1: the rain that we had the whole time I was out there. That's
0: right. So you're in salt water you had a few tablespoons of fresh water in a four and a half day period that's right any food
1: well let's come to the next day the third day when there was uh, there were 17 of us and uh, and we had literally had a prayer meeting i mean uh, nearly everybody prayed you'd started with 80 and now you're down
2: to 17 right. the sharks had picked off that many
1: that's right well sharks and uh, you, you mentioned somebody giving up. Uh, you know, I saw any number of boys that, uh, maybe at, at one minute you'd think, well, you know, they're, they're still alive. And, uh, just a little bit later, you'd see that they, they just all of a sudden, seemingly they just allowed their head to drop into the water and they didn't have the energy to, uh, to raise up and they, uh, you know, they didn't care. I, I recall that third day that we had had, uh, we'd had a prayer meeting and, uh, Everyone was uh, nearly was praying, and uh, and and some would ask that you would uh, you know pray for them. You know they had uh, some had uh, some children back home that they'd never seen, and so on, and they were were desperate to make it. And uh, you know if you make it, and I don't make it. Will you uh, you know will you go by and see my uh, family, and and but don't tell them you know really uh, the gruesome things that are happening. And uh, anyway, we had, we had, had a prayer meeting. And uh, we got through with a prayer meeting there on that third day. And then we came up on a swell, and uh, we looked off to a distance, and uh, we could see that uh, there looked like a little makeshift of a raft that was coming into our group. And uh, after a period of time, we yelled at them and they back at us, and it wasn't long till until they, they made it into our group. And uh, there were five sailors, and they had uh, a, a makeshift of a raft consisting of like two 40 millimeter ammunition cans and uh, and three crates like a wooden slatted uh, potato crate or an orange crate. And uh, as they came into our group, I, I recognized that uh, there were life jackets that they had taken off of boys that had already expired and they were they had squeezed those out the best that they could uh, because a, a life a K-pop jacket will last maybe 48 hours, but we've already long passed that. So when they came in our group, they said that they were swimming to the Philippines, that if we could get close enough to the Philippines, that uh, uh, that maybe someone would uh, would see us. And at that time, we were nearly convinced that no word had gotten out. And yet, you know, 50 years later, we find out that it did. But uh, anyway, we uh, they wanted to know if anyone wanted to join them, swim to the Philippines, pushing that little raft. That was hundreds of miles away, right? Probably 500 miles. We didn't know that. But, right. But— uh, so uh, I, I looked at my buddy Spooner, and I said, uh, Spooner, I'm going to go. I'm going to join them. And he said, Harold, if you go, I'm going to go. And so here two Marines and five sailors uh, begin to uh, say goodbye to our 15 other sailors, and uh, and we're going to swim to the Philippines, we thought. So, uh, so here we start.
2: Was there anything said by the guys you left? Did they say, that's foolish to do well, they that?
1: They did. They thought it was foolish. They said, the sharks, uh, you know, will get you. And uh, well, you know they've already gotten a bigger part of us, and uh, there was really no uh, seemingly no advantage to just stay and uh, uh, somewhat hope against hope and uh, do what we can. So, uh, so you,
2: you swim know, out past the perimeter where those sharks had been circling that group of boys.
1: We we left our group, and uh, after an hour or two, then uh, swimming. Uh, actually, I recall that uh, uh, after we had gone a, a distance, we. Uh, could see the, the sun setting in the in the west, and we thought, well, we'll be able to see the moon, we'll be able to see the southern cross, we'll be able to see the sun now as it sets, and we can tell that we're, we're going to the Philippines, and the Philippines are big enough that we're all bound to get in close enough that someone will see us. Well, after we had gone a, a good distance, uh, we came up on a swell, and I, I could look off at a, at a distance, and I, I saw some debris out at uh, our starboard side out, maybe a couple hundred yards or so, and a hundred yards uh, ahead of us. And uh, I called it to the attention of the others. And uh, at first we thought, well, it, it's one of our buddies out there. But then as we got closer, we could tell that it was uh, a debris of some kind, not not one of ours. And uh, so, you know, you, you pray for food. What's the possibility? You know, could there be food out there? And uh, so we prayed. And uh, I know I said, i tell you what, if you'll keep going straight, I'm going to swim out and get that. If it's just a a crate, then we'll bring it in and fashion it on to our others here. But uh, let's hope and pray that it could be food. And, well, they thought I was foolish again because the sharks maybe would get a, stragg- a straggler out there. But really I, th- I felt a, a real compelling force that says go for it. Go and see what it might be. And I know as I swam and got closer and closer to that crate, I'm praying for food. I'm praying for water, anything, you know. And as I got uh, close enough that I could see those potatoes in that crate, uh, kind of in desperation, I am uh, i didn't pause to thank the Lord for what <laughs> I'm about to eat. But in desperation, I'm making my way to those potatoes, and I reached in to get that first potato kind of in the agony of defeat. All that rotten potato begins to squeeze through my fingers, and as I kind of squeezed that in despair, then uh, all of a sudden it was solid potato on the inside. Uh, you know that was some food that I needed some starch and some uh, and some water in that, and uh, then I uh, I began to peel some of them then and fill my dungaree pockets full and and then I began to make my way back then to my buddies with still a lot of potatoes in the in the crate. We had a feast. Oftentimes when I talk to young people, I say you know we had a picnic and no ants to bother us. <laughs> but,
2: you had sharks though. We had sharks. We had sharks. You you uh, describe in your book that on more than one occasion the sharks would be circling and you would look up and there would be a dorsal fin headed straight towards you. Right.
1: I know many many times I, I had a fin coming straight toward me. I knew that I was looking into eternity the next second. And yet, as he got to me he just went under and I felt the dorsal fin as it hit me. And then him to to go by and maybe then momentarily then another one would come through and take a buddy next to you. And yet the Lord, you know, spared me and you know, you have to have to be so so mindful of all that the, the Lord, you know, does for you through your life and especially in occasions like that.
0: Did you ever lose hope? Day four, fourth night you've been through. Did you ever think we're not going to make it? We're going to die out here.
1: Oh, I, I'm sure I thought that many times. Uh, I, I wondered how much longer, you know, can a body really endure? You know, I lost about twenty-seven pound there in those uh, those four days, and uh, uh,
2: you know, how much more can you endure? And Tw- hold it, twenty-seven pounds. Right. How do you lose 27 pounds in four days? I don't know. There's
1: others that say that they lost 30, 40 pounds. But, uh, you know, dehydration does that to you. And then, of course, you might think that we aren't swimming all the time, but basically we we are swimming or fighting to be able to to stay erect and to uh, not allow the water to uh, uh, slosh over on us and get us strangled and cause us to drink the water. So you're... You're fighting the uh, you know, the situation all the time, and especially the in in the daytime you know the swells and all. Mm-hmm.
0: You're trying to stay on top of the swells, keep your
2: head Get, up above right. the water. That's right, Ed. Uh, I listened to your ordeal, and you describe in your book how at this point it it was Wednesday evening. You'd been in the water 66 hours. You know, here you had to be near death, and and your spirit had to be as Bob was talking about losing hope, and yet as you as you dawn on the fourth day, all this group of men that you started out with, you're down to one man, right? At the end of the fourth day, right. How did that happen?
1: Well, it. I think it would be fair if I backed up just a little bit and say that uh, the night before when we had the raft and there were five sailors, two marines, Uh, As it got dark that night, we couldn't go. We couldn't see the Southern Cross. We couldn't see the moon. So uh, long about midnight that night, I know we were just hanging on to the raft, didn't know which way to go. And uh, then we hear voices. And uh, now uh, there's times when I think there's some that heard voices, but uh, we were actually hearing some boys and we knew it had to be ours. And and so we began to respond to them, holler out to them and they to us. And uh, so sometime that night then there was a Navy lieutenant and uh, I, I don't know how many. As they came into our group, uh, that kind of came in straggling one at a time, so to speak. And as they came in, I think there were maybe five boys and um, Lieutenant McKissick, Charles McKissick from Texas anyway uh, – he convinced us that he was uh, likewise swimming to the Philippines. He said, if we can get close enough, then uh, maybe someone will see us. And uh, then we tried to tell him that we were trying to go there with the raft. And at first he convinced us that the raft would be a deterrent, that it would slow us down. But uh, we said, yeah, but we've got a spare tire, as we put it. And we got spare life jackets up on the top. And uh, the next thing maybe that happened right immediately was that there was a certain Marine that had a pocket full of Irish potatoes that began to take the potatoes out of his pocket and share those with McKissick and the others. And then I don't know what happened after that. I I really don't know what happened before morning. Uh, The only thing that I know is the next morning, I'm not with Spooner, not with my buddy Spooner. Uh, I'm not with the raft. I'm not with the boys that I was with. I'm with uh, a Navy Lieutenant McKissick and one other sailor. And uh, now, my life jacket will not hold my head out of the water. And I'm having to uh, constantly swim, uh, trying to keep my head above the water. And it's sometimes in that fourth day that one of the the times that I wondered if I wasn't gone there that fourth day, uh, no doubt it got still, I'm just exhausted and got still or something other. And all of a sudden, something hit me. And I just knew it was a shark. I fell out of the uh, Kapok jacket, fell into the water, and in desperation, the only hope that I had, I guess, was to get that life jacket back down under me, and I was struggling to get that back down under me, knowing that at any time that a shark is going to attack me. Uh, but then as I finally got back into that life jacket, I'm sitting in it, then there was just millions of little fish then, about uh, eight or ten inches long, that began to come all around me and kind of nudge against me, and uh uh, the moment I saw them, I knew that they were my friends. I knew that if they were there, the sharks weren't weren't around me, and uh, I did try to catch a few with my hands to have one to eat, but I was not successful. Uh, anyway, that was uh, kind of the closer part of the end of that that fourth day before rescue finally
2: came that afternoon. Ed, as as I've listened to you um, take us to one dramatic scene after another, I've stared into your face and I've I've watched the emotion come and go much like the swells in the ocean and i'm amazed here 60 years later you're still very emotionally tethered to the experience that you had there you mentioned after you had been rescued that you couldn't you couldn't talk about it for a long time why was that i don't know that i can answer why
1: I found out that uh, that I relived it each time I uh, – if I try to get into any detail or anything, I could – I can see it today. I mean there's no problem hmm. of seeing what all was happening. But I I try to think above that and think of the positive rather than to look at it from the standpoint that, that uh, hope was gone and nothing but despair and then to see my buddies then uh, – go as they were going. But I I recall that after I was home two years, uh, Dad's closest friend, which was a friend of a family, and one Sunday afternoon, uh, he insisted, I guess somewhat, he began to question me, and uh, out of respect, I think, for him as a friend, and I started started telling it, and uh, I talked maybe for a couple of hours, and I know when when I got through, my dad broke down, and he said, well, he's been home for two years now, and this is the first I've really known of of really what happened. But it was the best cathartic that uh, hmm. that I could have ever experienced, really, because there it kind of set in motion, uh, not only uh, through the years have I wanted to give uh, uh, credit to the Lord for uh, for his providence and his, uh, his mercy and grace to me in my life, But uh, I wanted to tell others uh, somewhat of the story. So for the past several years, I've, uh, you know, I've been in uh, like 14 different states now telling. And uh, this kind of led real living.
2: But, um, well, you're in all 50 states right now. (laughs) (laughs) You're telling a lot of people the story. Psalm 139 verses 7 through 10, I think, have um, a special power about them because of the scene that you've have set for us here. Where can I go from thy spirit? Mm-hmm. Or where can I flee from thy presence? If I ascend to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there, thy hand will lead me and thy right hand will lay hold of me right and goes on to talk about darkness overwhelming me the thing that well the person who leads us in the midst of the darkness in the midst of our chaos our our challenges our crisis that we face he is the king of kings the lord of lords mm-hmm. the sovereign the exactly. sovereign ruler of the universe who knows the number of hairs on our head and he cares about us and he loves us and he loved you. He loved you and brought you through one of the most amazing stories I've ever heard. Mm -hmm. You know, I I can't help
0: but reflect again on the book that our friend Chip Ingram has written Mm -hmm. that looks at a number of the Psalms of David and reminds us that God is with us in the midst of any affliction The book's called I Am With You Always. It's a book that we've got in our Family Life Resource Center. And I don't know what kind of affliction uh, our listeners are going through. But that reminder, again, that God is with us, that he is for us, that he has not abandoned us, Uh, there are times in life when we have to be reminded of that. And Chip's book does a great job of doing that. Uh, Again, it's in our Family Life Resource Center, along with the book that you've written, Ed, which tells the story of the sinking of the Indianapolis and of your survival four days in the Pacific. The book's called Out of the Depths, and we have both books in our Family Life Resource Center. In fact, this week, uh, when our listeners order both books together, we will send at no additional cost the two CDs that have our conversation This week with Ed Harrell. And in fact, the CDs have more of the story than we've been able to include on the broadcast because of time constraints. It's something that the whole family can listen to as you travel this summer, or you can use it for family devotions. Go to our website, familylife.com. When you get to the homepage, uh, down at the bottom of the screen, there's a button that says go. You click on that button. It'll take you right to a page where you get more information about the resources we've been talking about. You can order online if you'd like. Again, the website is familylife.com or call 1-800-FL-TODAY. We've got folks who are standing by who can help you with more information about any of these resources or they can uh, take your order over the phone and get the resources sent to you. Again, the toll-free number is 1-800-F-AS-IN-FAMILY, L-AS-IN-LIFE, and then the word TODAY. We also want to ask you when you get in touch with us, if you're able to help with a donation this month, uh, you need to know that Family Life Today is a listener-supported program, and it's donations to the ministry that keep us on the air in this city and in cities all across the country. You also need to know that we are committed to the idea that you ought to be giving to your local church as your first priority. So we hope that if you do get in contact with us to make a donation, you're not uh, in any way taking money away from your local church But as you're able to help with the financial support of this ministry in the month of August, we want to send you a thank you gift. Back a couple of months ago, we sat down with Shanti Feldhan, who is the author of a book called For Women Only. We had a great conversation with her about uh, things women need to know about their husbands that many women just aren't aware of. Shanti had done research on the subject, and many of you got in touch with us after those interviews and requested the CDs, and we thought during the month of August we would make those CDs available to anyone who wants to make a donation of any amount to the Ministry of Family Life today. You can donate online at familylife.com or you can call 1-800-FL-TODAY to make a donation. You'll need to request the CDs when you make your donation. If you're calling, just let our team know that you want the CDs for women and they'll send those to you. Or you can request the CDs online when you get to the key code box as you're making your donation. Just type in the two letters CD and we'll send out the interview to you. And again, it's our way of saying thanks for your ongoing support of Family Life Today. We appreciate you standing with us financially. Well, tomorrow, Ed Harrell is going to be back with us to finish the story. We're going to hear how you were spotted in the water And it's a remarkable story of God's amazing providence. I hope our listeners can be with us for that. I want to thank our engineer today, Keith Lynch, our entire broadcast production team. On behalf of our host, Dennis Rainey, I'm Bob Lapine. We will see you back tomorrow for another edition of Family Life Today. Family Life Today
2: is a production of Family Life of Little Rock, Arkansas, a ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ.